I finally earned my place. No, you, you didn't, you haven't, and you never will. Adventure Through the Bible Podcast. My name is Matt. Joining me today are your friends and mine, Tracy. Good morning. And Karen. Hello. Good morning. Amy will not be with us today. She's been dealing with some, well, let's just say family issues, the kind of things that I guess we all have to go through at some point or another, but she'll be back. She's just dealing with little things that uh, everybody has to deal with, and she's out of town and on the road. So she will not be with us today, but I have every confidence that we will sound competent all the same. <laughs> Hard to do without Amy, but we'll give it a shot. Amy we'll is pretty girl. smart. She's a pretty smart girl. <laughs> Amy is pretty smart. She's wicked smart. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not from Boston, but I love accents. That's fun. Well, that was terrible. Well, I didn't say I was good at it. <laughs> You're better at like, what are those little cartoon animals that do the, the veggie tails? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Super suction ears away. See, better than that. Better. Yes. Good. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> uh, okay. Okay. Uh, you know, it is fun having friends who have medical backgrounds. <laughs> yeah, we we've explored some really funny uh don't say explore. Oh, <laughs> Oh, folks, if you were part of the conversations that we have sometimes before we hit record, or even when I hit record and have to stop recording, because I don't want to have to edit it all out later. We've talked about hernia surgeries this morning. We've talked about C-sections and natural birth and who gets to be in the room and who gets to watch what. (sighs) I'm awake now. Yeah. Let's just say that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, the human body, though, is such a fascinating thing. It really is. Because I, you know, I was saying, I, I watched both of them. My wife, my, my okay, let me, ref- let me figure that one out. My wife had two C-sections, and I watched both of them. And I was f- utterly fast. At- I can't speak. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can't speak. He was not one of those husbands who thinks he wants to be in the room and then goes over like a redwood onto the floor at the sight of blood. <laughs> he was fascinated. He was awake for all of it. He was Absolutely. awake for all of it. No resuscitation of Matt required. <laughs> no smelling salts. No, I was utterly fascinated by the whole thing. I was just, it was just super cool to me. I don't know. I, it is super cool. Yeah, it's just, it's really, really interesting to me to see those things. And especially in a, in a surgical situation, you know, everything's under control, a little blood, meh, that ain't no big deal. (laughs) It's like yesterday, my family went, we went with some friends to the zoo, the Denver zoo, and they have their animal hospital there now. And you can go, I guess they've always had it, but I've never actually gone into the building before. And maybe this is new. I didn't know that I missed but they have a, they have it now where you can actually watch them doing procedures on animals. They weren't doing anything oh, this goodness. day. But they have a funny trigger warning sign on the outside. You may there you may see a procedure that is involving blood. And I'm like, cool. Shocking. Well, yeah, let's go. You know, so it's yeah. Man, it's kind of cool. I missed. I'm, it's time. I gotta move back. Like that sounds fun. You do need to move back. Although I don't know. Your place there in Kentucky is pretty nice. But I know. but uh <laughs> but uh, yeah, I don't know. Surgery stuff fascinates me. You know, videos of like knee surgeries and the way they pound on your body and twist you in a different. <laughs> just, I'm just amazed by the things that we can do. But uh, when you so talk once to upon the... a time, once upon a time, I was getting an ankle screwed back together, and I asked the surgeon in advance, like before I went unconscious. He was in there, sort of like washing up and getting ready to do stuff and whatever. And seven o'clock in the morning, first surgery of the day, like, whoa, they came and got me out of my hospital room and took me. And I asked him, I was like, where is there anything special about the screw that you're going to use? Because he held it up and showed it to me. It was maybe it was like, what, five inches long or whatever. And I was like, is there anything special about that? And he goes, no, it's just a standard screw. So he's showing it to me. And I was like, well, what kind of screwdriver are you using? So he picks up something that looks very much like a skill electric you know, drill bit with a screwdriver tip in it. And I was mm-hmm. like, 
how much are you charging me for that? I could have stopped at Ace on the way over and picked you up one of those for 21 cents. And he's like, you don't want to know. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it was at least stainless steel, though. So, you know, I'm, I, I'm guessing stainless it was still titanium, you yeah. know, that kind of stuff. He's yeah. like, he's like, no, 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 this one's fancy. I put it in and if I ratchet it tight enough, the the uh, the head breaks off. So it's not sticking out over the edge of your bone. And I was like, oh, okay. mm-hmm. Great. anyway, <laughs> so, so it's fascinating. And what we know, the little bit that we humans know about medical practice is also fascinating. Yeah. Good yeah. stuff. Yes. Yeah. But that's where I worked before. And um, you'd be surprised. It's literally, it's basically the same thing as you'd see, like, you know, drills, Mm-hmm. Bits, That's what he said. Everything it, but it's just stainless steel, so it can yeah. be cleaned. Yeah, yeah. I don't. It's cool. It's cool. Yeah. But that is not why we're here, and I'm sure that's not why our our listeners tuned in to hear us today. I, I know that they they love this banter at the beginning. I know they do. <laughs> but we are here today to talk about the Bible. Now, last week we were talking uh, about. Luke chapter seven, we were talking kind of specifically about, or wait a minute, am I in the right place? Yes. We started to talk, we were talking about uh, John the Baptist and he had sent messengers to Jesus. And then Jesus was kind of uh, reacting with the crowd around him to the situation of John the Baptist and how, um, oh, you know, he was pointing out that John, he he was really kind of how how would I say um, praising John for what he had done um, as a prophet, as a, as as a, as someone working for the kingdom, and he came up with this phrase that we sort of got a little stuck on last week, and we kind of wanted to re- revisit this. He said, uh, in the context of praising John. He says, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. And we were sort of taken aback by that phrase, not a hundred percent sure what he meant. Um, and we all spent a little time this week researching into that and coming up with some answers. And so we'll discuss some of those answers today. Now, Tracy, you were getting ready to uh, talk about yeah. that just before we hit record. So why don't you tell us what you found out? So, I, you know, like we were talking about, it's like, okay, so which one is it? What what does it mean? But it starts out with, with this, that opinions differ as to the precise meaning of this statement. That's the, the preface they kind of get, gave before they kind of broke it down into saying that. Um, um, let me just read it. Yeah. Some hold that it means that the crowds were zealous to follow Jesus. Others at the kingdom of divine grace um, in chapter three, verse two of Matthew experienced violence in the sense that a great many of those who thronged about John and Jesus did so with little zeal or no real understanding of the true nature of the kingdom. Mark uh, 138 at the close of his third Galilean tour, a short time before Passover, AD 30, is when Christ was at his very crest of the wave of popularity. There was an attempt to force him to accept the crown of the temporal kingdom. And then those who listened to John and to Jesus had more of an under enough zeal, but their zeal was not according to knowledge. So under any circumstances, the true kingdom was misunderstood and its purpose hindered by those who poised it as its friends. So it's kind of like what I think we said this a little bit too is they really didn't know what they were following. Mm-hmm. But the popularity was increasing. And then, too, they were looking for, like we had talked about before, they were looking for that um, earthly takeover of a kingdom. And that's not what Jesus came to do. Mm-hmm. Oh, we'll take it by force because we don't want to be under Roman control. Let's go. No, that's not what I'm here for. I'm here to save the whole entire world. Yeah, that whole temporal kingdom thing. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. I can see that as a possible, as a possible. Now, Karen, you think you said you did a little research too. I did, and I didn't find anything very definitive. So, uh, 
you know, right here in my parallel Bible, it pretty much summarizes the only differences in theory that I found. So the new King James and from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. Okay. NIV from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence with a footnote that says, or been forcefully advancing, which is very different in my mind. Mm -hmm. And violent people have been raiding it. All right, well then here's new living translation, which is a paraphrase. Um, and from the time of John, and from the time John the Baptist began preaching until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing. And that has a little asterisk. <laughs> And it goes back to the end, it refers back to the other, or the kingdom of heaven has suffered from violence. So it's like, and violent people are attacking it. So like, it didn't matter. Like I dug into a half a dozen sort of styles of theology and nobody seemed to have a clear answer. Yeah. So, same. Yeah. It was a little frustrating. Like it's such a, it's such an out of the blue phrasey, phrasing that I, I like, I wanted an answer. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and the, the bit that I, the bit of, I mean, I, Basically, I Googled it, you know, and the first thing that came up is something that actually made pretty good sense to me is because it's right in the middle of Jesus talking about John the Baptist. Because remember, he said stuff like when you went out to see John the Baptist, what did you go to see? Did you go to see this? Uh, how did he put it? Um, did you go to see a reed shaken by the wind? Did you go to see a man in soft gar garments? You know, so basically, did you go to see somebody who was. Mamby Pamby, how the phrase is, <laughs> it's a weird phrase. Did you go to see somebody who was weak? Did you go to see somebody who was not uh, uh, confident? Or he says, did you go to see a prophet? A prophet? And, and then in the middle, as part of that, he talks about, you know, how John the Baptist is the embodiment of Elijah returning to to welcome in the Messiah. And so he's he, he's building up john at that point and then he comes in with this phrase which seems to indicate that at least to me it's what makes kind of the most sense to me is that the kingdom of heaven is going to be taken by people who really really want it who really want to be there they're not going to be weak they're not going to be uh, like he said, a reed shaken by the wind. They're going to stand strong. They're going to stand firm. And when we, it, the 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 violence of this is kind of an allegorical uh, uh, way of saying it. But if you want it, you got to take it. You have to grasp it. You have to hold on to it. You can't let anybody take it away from you. Um, and so that that's kind of the way. I was taking it, and I think maybe it has sort of some dual meaning because he is talking to people who are expecting the Messiah to come and free them from the Romans. And so they were some of them were kind of wanting that violent revolt to get to 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 this kingdom of heaven. They're kind of think they're probably thinking basically of Israel. He's talking to these people, but at the same time, he's meaning he's got that dual meaning, you know. Yeah. So so yeah, you you want to take it, it by is, force, but you're kind of taking the wrong thing. Or you can say you just want to hear the most um, the most flattering sort of assessment that I read. This one I I thought was interesting. Okay. Um, says the pressing multitudes that had followed John continued to follow Jesus' ministry. This is the key <clears throat> to understanding Jesus' statement that the kingdom of that the kingdom of God suffers violence. Pointing to the huge crowds that followed John and that were now following him, Jesus likens them to an invading army surrounding a city to capture it. And then here's a paraphrase. From the days of John the Baptist until now, there has been an extraordinary rush of people pressing in from all sides, eager for a blessing. The kingdom of heaven suffers violence, figuratively speaking, in that people were so thronging to hear the gospel that they resembled an army trying to besiege a city. And the, quote unquote, violent take it by force 
The people entering the kingdom were not violent, literally, but their eagerness to see the coming of the Messiah was so overwhelming that it was as if they were attacking a city and beating down the doors. Okay, then it draws a couple of correlations. People were hungry for the truth and would not be kept away. For centuries, God's prophet had predicted God's prophets had predicted the Messiah's coming, and now that the Messiah was here, nothing could hold back the flood of people pressing into the kingdom. We see some of this fervor in Luke 5, 18 and 19, when some men literally tore through the roof of a house to get to Jesus. And in John 6, 15, when a crowd intended to come and make him king by force. So, and then its summary is, we should take note of the response of the believing people in Jesus' day and share their passion. A gift of eternal life is beyond compare. Knowing Christ has come should create earnestness in us and a striving to be closer to him. There is no place for apathy or ambivalence in the follower of Jesus Christ. So that was the most positive spin on it. But I, I thought that was interesting. Mm-hmm. That's on got questions, and I didn't read all of it. I just read bits and pieces, but it's on got questions um, under the search kingdom of God suffers violence. So if you guys want to dig into the, that a little more and there's you can click through to the corresponding scriptures and see what all was said there. But mm-hmm. yeah, kind of interesting. Yeah, that's very similar to what I what I read, too. And it's yeah. it's kind of what makes sense to me, because, I mean, you know, the idea of the kingdom of heaven actually suffering violence doesn't make a whole you just don't you don't put those two things together you know it's violence in heaven you you know of course when we're talking kingdom of heaven we're not necessarily talking about you know the realm of god and the angels you know how whatever you know we're talking about we're talking about more the the concepts of jesus's teachings and and everything that god wants for his followers um but yeah it the violence aspect of things just doesn't quite seem to fit in into that. And so this allegorical explanation of it makes a lot more sense to me of of attitudes. How badly do you want it? How badly yeah, so are you going to go suggestion for it? Was, um, look, look, take a broad sweep looking at the Gospels of how the crowds responded to Jesus. And you'll get the idea of what he was saying from that point of view. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, there's times when I. I wish that Jesus could have, well, not just, you know, a lot of things in the Bible could just be a little more straightforward. But I guess I guess there's times when we really need to. We need to have things said that we need to contemplate and think about a little more so it sticks in our brain a little bit more because. You know, I mean, this phrase is going to be probably in my head now for the rest of my life because of the mm-hmm. time that I spent considering it and what it means. And so I guess in that aspect, I am glad that he that he used phraseology that uh, wasn't just spoon feeding me a concept, but something that I had to really wrap my brain around and get well, and get. I, into. I think that uh, I mean, and I mean, how long have we been doing this podcast now? What are we up to, like 10 years or something? But like, <laughs> I I have noticed again and again that, that as my life progresses down its little tiny track, you know, one human in the course of history, the 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 different parts of the Bible come alive or speak in ways that I didn't ever think of before. Mm-hmm. So when I when I get frustrated with Jesus for wording something in a way that seems obscure, if it does stick in my head, oftentimes it will come back within a matter of a few years or a few months and be like, oh, oh, okay, I'm getting kind of getting that now, kind of mm-hmm. starting to understand it. And it, I guess that's part of the quality of the Word of God being alive, as they as they say it. Right. Well, that little phrase is not found in Luke 7. That was found in Matthew 11, which we're going to be talking about uh, more today. Um, But first, we want to kind of go back into Luke 7 because there was a portion of that that we didn't cover last week. Oh, it's one of the most fascinating. I think it's I think it's maybe one of the I was going to say fascinating, but maybe it's one of the most beautiful stories in the Bible. Luke 7. And uh, it's about. A time when Jesus was invited to a Pharisee's house for dinner. Now, first of all, one, I'm a little fascinated that one of the Pharisees inviting Jesus to to dinner, uh, although they weren't all against Jesus. We know that Nicodemus was a Pharisee and he was 
he was uh, he was very welcoming to Jesus. And so another one invited Jesus to his house. And we don't really know why. Um, it seems kind of clear to me that maybe he was invited thinking that Jesus was, because Jesus was so um, influential that maybe this would be a status thing for him or what. I don't I don't exactly know. But as they're having dinner, this woman comes in and uh, I mean, is the way I take it. She basically kind of throws herself at Jesus's feet and is in utter tears. And as her tears are falling on his feet, she starts to basically wash his feet with her tears. She's wiping, wiping the hair, uh, wiping his feet with her hair to dry them. She starts kissing his feet. And she starts to anoint his feet with um, oil. It says fragrant oil from an alabaster jar. So to me, that sounds like this is something that is probably quite expensive, uh, precious. It's almost a little bit of a contrast to what we just talked about of this aggressively taking the kingdom versus now this very... um, subservient attitude that this woman is having to Jesus. Um, you know, we're not really given an answer, uh, uh, the story, how she got into the house in the first place. You know, why is she, why is she there? We don't really know, but here she is doing this. And the prophet is kind of taught, I guess, kind of speaking to himself or, or, or something, but it basically is like, well, if Jesus was really a prophet. He'd know that this woman's a sinner, uh, which talks about some of that attitude that that the Pharisees had towards <laughs> towards people. You know, you, you kind of wish that people who were more into studying the word of God could be a little more forgiving towards the people who are finding themselves repentant of their lifestyles. I don't know that attitude of of these Pharisees and specifically here, this attitude of this Pharisee to this woman is rather appalling. Well, I don't entirely know why this woman is feeling the way she is either. I'm uh, there's, I know there's a lot of speculation that this might be Mary Magdalene um, in, in response to the way Jesus had, had we talked about um, the adulterous woman, that whole idea of Mary Magdalene is just kind kind of so convoluted uh, she gets she gets placed in a lot of different places of the Bible, and I don't always know if that's if that's accurate or not. Right. Um, and so I know a lot of people think this may have been Mary Magdalene, and that 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 woman that was caught in adultery. Um, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. I don't know. Um, I don't know. What do you what do you think about the story at this point of Jesus being invited, of this woman coming in, of this attitude of this Pharisee? Uh, there's just there's a lot to unpack here. To me, it just it it still followed the same thing because he's done this bef- before. They've accused him of this before of, of hanging out with sinners, but that's what he came to the world to do, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, so it was like, okay, yeah, I. They've said this. They've had the same argument before, and it's almost you hate to say, but. Yeah, you said it before, so he answered your question. Let's just move on. Yeah, but they don't. They they really harp on it, and I think that was the grounds for them to to crucify him. Is that that what that's what it was? They wanted that differentiation between you know being um, like the Pharisees and the Sadducees of following the law to the T and and not associate associating with sinners. It's like nope, that wasn't his mission. Mm-hmm. To me, a part of it is with these Pharisees' attitudes towards these women and a lot of Christians' attitudes towards people today, my thought is, you know, this woman is obviously feeling bad about the way she's lived her life, whatever it is that has brought her to Jesus at this point. She's obviously feeling bad about it, and the Pharisees' attitude is just like, well, you're just a terrible person. And my thought is, well, how do you expect her to turn her life around if nobody will let her? If, do you expect her to just continue? Or are we just going to yeah. shun her forever? I, I am not a proponent of the once saved, always saved 
mentality <clears throat> because I believe that our choices are day to day and our choice is where this thing centers, yep. right? The flip side of that is once sinned, always sinned is also not true. Right. Yeah. Well, if it was, who? none of us would be in any kind of a good position at all. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And that kind of goes against the whole premise of, you know, um, I just lost my train of thought. <laughs> of, of freedom of choice. Mm -hmm. you, you choose daily. You choose what you're going to do daily. Mm -hmm. You know, it's bringing to mind right now a story. I don't remember if I read it. I don't remember if somebody told it to me. We might have even talked about it here on the podcast before. But of a church that was built, well, maybe it wasn't built, it ended up having a strip club right next door, which is bizarre to me, <laughs> um, which maybe makes me wonder how well was that church functioning before the strip club got built next to it. But that's, you know, it's kind of a that's whole kind of a different scenario. But people's initial reactions to this strip club was wanting to shun the women who were working there. But the pastor of that church uh started befriending the women and started encouraging his his congregation to befriend these women and in the course of a rather short time it's been a while since i've had this story relayed to me but in a rather short time most of those women were attending that church and the strip club was shut down if you're only going to look at people for the sins they've had and you're going to hold that against them forever how do you expect them to ever turn their life around? How do you expect them to ever find the peace that they could possibly have in Jesus and doing what and in doing what is right if you just if you won't even give them a chance? So I used to live in Alaska, mm -hmm. and uh, one of the pastors that I knew up there was what they call a bush pilot. So a lot of the towns in Alaska, including the state capital, weirdly, don't have roads to them. And so you have to fly. And if there are not, if, the, if it's just a little blip on the, on the map, you don't, you know, you're not going to have commercial airlines going in and out of there. So if you're a businessman of any sort or a missionary or whatever, you may need to have your own small plane so you can get in and out of these villages. So at one point, he was assigned a number of these small bush villages and he was a pilot and so one of the things that he would do is whatever church he was supposed to so he was on a rotation right so whichever church he was supposed to preach at that weekend he would fly in the night before so that he could get up very early in the morning go around to all the bars pull his congregation out of the sawdust brush them off and bring them to church. So the question is, who's your audience? You know, that's a big thing in sales. You have to know your audience. Well, this is the gospel. Who's your audience? Where mm -hmm. are they? How far do you deviate from your path to go get them? Right? And that's that's one of the questions. Um, so <clears throat> as far as why we why people believe this is Mary, in Matthew 26, it tells the story. It tells a story, which appears to be the same story, but it refers to Simon as Simon the leper. Right? So he'd mm -hmm. maybe been healed. And that it also specifically says that Jesus was in Bethany. And we know that Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were from Bethany. So that might be why this is connected. So here, briefly, <clears throat> is the story in Matthew 26. It starts in verse 6. When Jesus was in Bethany in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste? They asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, why are you bothering this woman? She's done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. 
So that is, I believe, one of the primary connecting points that make people think that Simon the Pharisee is also Simon the leper, which is why in Luke, doesn't he talk to him about forgiveness? Yeah. Well, yeah. So, like, who, so if, uh, we, we haven't really gotten to that part, but uh, Jesus, uh, in verse 40, you know, the Pharisee is sitting there thinking not kind things, and um, Jesus says, Simon, I have something to tell you. So tell me, teacher, he says, two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. All right, so if Simon the Pharisee is Simon the leper, then the then the cross fiber here is that Simon has had a small forgiveness. He was cured of his leprosy and he was restored. You see what I'm getting at? Mm-hmm. And that then if this is Mary Magdalene, who was, or the woman caught in adultery or whatever, all those sort of cross-references of stories that we have floating around in the New Testament, then she was forgiven much. And so mm-hmm. here she is making this huge display of appreciation and love and gratitude. And Simon is the one sitting there thinking, why is he letting that person touch him? Yeah. So anyway, that's that may be where some of these theological things come from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not here to say whether it is or isn't. I don't know. Uh, yeah, it's I don't, interesting. Yeah, it's interesting. And I don't know how much it matters if it's her or not. Other, You know, other than a lot of modern day takes on things want to place this woman, this one woman with all of these stories about her as almost like the 13th apostle. I don't know if I have a huge problem with that, you know, but um, that just, I don't know. It's, it's sort of a curious thing of whether this is the same woman or not. But the point here being, of course, like Jesus parable pointed out, this woman feels this immense gratitude for being forgiven of her sins uh, because she had a lot to be forgiven of. I love that she's able to accept that she's been forgiven because I've known a lot of people. They've come to church for years. You get to know them. They're good people. They work that, you know, they'll work for the church. They will do what they can. They, they want to serve God. They want to serve Jesus, but yet they still feel like they're unforgiven, like they're unworthy. Well, who's worthy, but like they, they just can't accept that they uh, are in good standing with God. And that's this woman's gratitude. I think that's because they're waiting. They're waiting to feel it from themselves. Yeah. Like I earned, I finally earned my place. No, you, you didn't. You haven't. And you never will. That is hardly the point, right? All that tells me if somebody is stuck in a state of, like doubt and feeling unforgiven and whatever, all that tells me is that their view is focused on themselves. Yeah. Because, because by that standard, you can't get into the kingdom. Mm-hmm. There will mm-hmm. be people who say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord. Yeah, focused on themselves. Yeah, in you're a not negative standard. Fashion. Jesus is the standard. Right, right. Yeah, they, but yeah, they're not, not able to get past what they've done. You know, I guess we never forget the things we've done. And it's it can be a difficult thing to accept that Jesus actually forgives you for whatever it is that you've done. And it's we forget how small we are, you know, in the cosmic sense of things. And I'm talking even here, I'm talking physically, but even in the in the grand scheme of, you know, anything that we could do here at all. If when you look at it in the universe, it's like you're just a you're you're this tiny little blip that wouldn't even show up on a chart, you know, and we think that Jesus would have a hard time being able to forgive us for these things. And I think we tend to be a little bit harder on ourselves, too. Mm-hmm. Well, we know the details. Yeah. 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 And 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 those that it's affected and maybe the ramifications 
you know, that we see within our family, maybe for certain sins or, or how it affected others, you know, and I think it's that point of, you know, you always tell people that, you know, God drops your sins in the deepest part of the ocean, but, or, you know, people pray and lay them down at the cross, but then they finish the prayer and pick them back up. I think we tend to be very hard on ourselves and, mm-hmm. and can't grasp almost like exactly what you're saying, Matt, we, we can't think that big that God just can take them all away. Mm-hmm. Well, I think in, in most ways, I mean, the, the most ways that we judge our world, I think is from our own, the, our own relationships that we are in and that we conduct. And if, if somebody had wronged us, wronged us, wronged us, crossed us, dealt duel with us, and then just was incapable of making it right. Most of us would break off the relationship. So in in all of our earthly sense of fairness, I get where people are coming from. But there's this word in the in the Bible. It's the Greek word. Um, let me get to the churis churizmahi. Right. That's the one. Sounds perfect. It's lovely. <laughs> and it means, okay, so here's, it's used in strategic places in the Bible for undeserved grace, all right? Here's the definition. Favor that cancels is used to describe God giving his grace to pardon. This is freely done and not based on any merit of the one receiving forgiveness, Okay, so it's Mm -hmm. one-sided grace, mercy in its truest, most base definition. And that is one of the ways that we are forgiven. Mm -hmm. So it has nothing to do with us. Literally doesn't even involve us. It is blanket forgiveness offered through Christ, through that process, through the process of salvation. And it is offered whether or not we accept it. It is not something we earn. It is more like a huge river with a strong current and we choose whether or not to get into that thing. You know, I I try to put myself into this woman's shoes, not knowing what she's done unless, you know, unless this is the woman who was caught in adultery, but we don't know. I would guess in this society though, it's maybe still whether this is the same woman or not. I would suspect the situations are probably the same. Um, I don't have any great reason to think that other than it just it's just, you know, gleaned from the bit I know about society. There's that society at the time. And um, the way that other people must have treated her. And Jesus treats her with kindness. Jesus has. And, you know, is she coming to Jesus at this point seeking forgiveness? Because as I'm, you know, as you read through and at the end, he tells her, your faith has saved you. Uh, or he t- At first he tells her, your sins are forgiven. And so it's maybe she is coming looking for forgiveness at this point, rather than being grateful for already having it. You know, and it could um, be just that unsaid action that she did of doing that, and the tears and the washing of his feet and the adding of perfume. And you know how that sometimes you try to make up for what you did with actions. Mm-hmm. I think that kind of falls in the line here is that it's one of those unsaid things, but Jesus knows, Jesus knows what she did, mm-hmm. you know? And I think by those actions, she's trying to ask for forgiveness without verbalizing it mm-hmm. because everybody's already made judgments on her anyway. She's a sinner. Yeah. It's like, what more do I need to say? These people have already judged me already. Right. So the way she is coming to Jesus, I think, is a beautiful thing. And the way Jesus reacts to her is, I think, is a beautiful thing. And the way that he basically, not basically, the way he rebukes this Pharisee is a, what word do I want to use there? It's, it's just, it's kind of a bold move on Jesus' part just to basically say, look at this woman is, uh, the woman is coming to me with this service and you have offered me nothing uh, really putting this guy in his place. Like you, you are, you cannot judge this woman. You cannot, 
you are not in a position to to think this way about this woman. And so don't um, because she's doing more than you ever thought about doing. And he forgives her. A couple of things. Um, I'm sitting here scrolling through an online concordance on that word, that one sided forgiveness word. Uh-huh. And that is the word that is looped, used in his story of the two debtors. So neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. The debts are legitimate. They're forgiven regardless of their legitimacy. It is one-sided, unmerited forgiveness, right? Okay, so that's one thing. And then the way Jesus describes the woman's actions here in verse 47 is pretty cool. Um, it says, therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. All right. Do you guys remember that text that says we love because he first loved us? Mm-hmm. So that's that's it. Like his forgiveness flows to us because of his love. And then we love him in return. And this is, I mean, to me, this is just a beautiful story. It's a gorgeous story of of her demonstrativeness. And I do wonder why she was in the house. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I always wondered how she got in. Why is she there? Is she, I mean, I mean she may be a servant in the house. And, I don't and know. And why didn't they ask her to leave if she had no place there? Right. You know, it, it's just the whole the whole thing is 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 fascinating and I want more detail, but I don't have it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, I guess she was in there because this story needed to be told. <laughs> <laughs> to be told for generations to mm-hmm. all the gospel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But so, G- yeah, Jesus is his forgiveness here is his display of forgiveness here is rather amazing. Yeah. Just as amazing as it has been in my life. Yeah. Linus isn't written out and printed in a book for everybody else to read. Well, folks, if you only knew half the things Karen has done. <laughs> I don't Go know. Go to your to. room. Uh, I'm, I think I'm there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but in that, in this vein of forgiveness then as we move to Matthew 11 in our reading or I should say back to Matthew 11 or on to Matthew 11 however you want to put that whatever um and Jesus is talking about all right let me try to rephrase this let me start this sentence over in Matthew 11 going directly out of the story of John the Baptist which we've already talked about this morning he the Matthew directly again the English Matthew goes directly into Jesus's dissertation if you want to say that against the cities that he has been working in he's talking he says uh or as Matthew puts it he began to rebuke the cities in which most of his mighty works had been done So we can think of the things he's been doing. He's been healing people. He has been uh, forgiving sins. He has been preaching. He has been raising people from the dead. And Jesus says that if the things that he had done in these cities had been done in cities like Tyre and Sidon and Sodom, I mean, remember that story about Sodom and Gomorrah, if he had done these things there, those cities would have been saved. But these cities, the way Jesus makes it sound, are worse than those cities ever were. Because they've seen things Jesus has done, and they're not accepting him. Of course, there's Mm -hmm. the people who are. But can you imagine seeing Jesus, having Jesus say, this is worse than that? What does that say about us now, thousands of years later, Having these stories of Jesus, what would he say about our cities now? What would he say about our civilization now compared to? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I mean, you think of that story of Sodom and Gomorrah and the way that they were. Yeah, I know a lot of people want to say that they want to place 
all of the evil of that story of Sodom and Gomorrah on men who wanted to gang rape other men. But it's clear in that story I mean, that, that is there was gross. Well, yeah, but it's clear in that story that there was far more going on in that right. city than just that. This was a city that was just utterly devoid of morality, it would seem. You know, but I wonder, too, if it's it's that Jesus sent messengers to Sodom and Gomorrah, sent angels. But these cities, he went personally. Mm-hmm. You know, and I wonder, too, if it's it's how he described, too, I'm thinking about it like he described the temple that, how did he put that, the, the former is greater than, you know where I'm going with this one? That Solomon's <laughs> temple was great, it was exalted, but the former will be better because he was actually in it. Yeah. Right. You no, know, and I'm wondering if he's judging him the same way. Is like I personally went there and they rejected what I was teaching them. Mm-hmm. And they are. They're worse than Sodom and Gomorrah. And if Sodom was still here, it would be here because it wasn't nearly as bad mm-hmm. because I did it personally and they rejected it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they those people at that time would have accepted the things that I'm giving you. Yeah. And you they guys are rejecting changed. it all. I, I, I liken that in my head to the story of Nineveh. Mm-hmm. You know, Nineveh was set for destruction. Whatever was going on over there, it deserved its very own prophet sent to them to make a fuss and call out the issues. What, what was it? It was like 100,000 people or 120,000 people. It's a fairly large town in those days. Right. And, and, and sure enough, Jonah shows up and he does his thing, you know, belligerent or unwilling as he was, he shows up and does his thing and then goes and sits on a hill overlooking the city under a shade plant and waits, waits to watch the city go up in flames. <laughs> and when it doesn't, he says to God, this is why I didn't want to go here. I know you're patient and I knew you would go back on your word when they changed. Right. <laughs> Jesus, so, uh, anyway, so, so Nineveh, I mean, who knows? It, I mean, their, their sins weren't really enumerated or illustrated out like Sodom and Sodom's were like, so, that's a pretty graphic illustration between the way Lot talks about his daughters and Lot's supposed to be righteous. And between the way the townspeople are ready to go after the angels, like it's, it's not great. Whatever's going on there is not great. Yeah. But we don't really have some detail like that about Nineveh, but yet they warranted their own prophet. Their very own, their very own crazy-haired, stomach-acid-eating guy to walk around holding up a cardboard sign saying the end is near, and they changed. They even made their animals don sackcloth and ashes and fast. Yeah. Like, they, they were, they got it. They got the message. And yet, so if you, if you contrast that with what's going on here, like, Jesus is making some strong statements. Mm-hmm. But remember, mm-hmm. remember what we talked about last time. There was also that example where he goes to a lot of the sort of the Galilean cities and whatever like that. And then he is, un, but he didn't do very many miracles when he was there because of their lack of faith. So, yeah, like there's, there's a lot going on here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it, it certainly does not speak well of this, these cities. And it really is. Well, you know, it kind of makes me think back even to the Israelites in, uh, in the wilderness and having a pillar of fire by day or smoke by day and fire at night and still making bad decisions and choices about the way they were going to follow God. And here they have Jesus himself and they're not recognizing who he is and they're wanting to take him down for, for, for what, for healing people, making them feel better, talking about how God wants them to be better and all they just want to kill him for it. And it's just, uh, it's utterly amazing. And it, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't think our society today is all that far off. We may not have Jesus right here, but we certainly have people rejecting Jesus left and right. Um, even, even knowing, uh, maybe they don't, but I don't know. Um, they, uh, these days we ought to know that the message that Jesus was, was preaching and what his intentions were. And people, people still reject and mock and ridicule the people who want to follow um, 
Jesus. And uh, it's, um, I don't know, it's just very interesting to think that what was happening while Jesus was there was perhaps worse than what was happening back in those those Old Testament stories. So are you guys familiar with the idea of social contagion? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the, I kind of hear a little bit of this in this blurb here. Um, because, yeah, we all individually stand before the throne. We have to answer for what we ourselves did, thought, chose, chose not to. You know what I mean? But but yet he's making he's passing judgment on areas. And I, I think that this is an example of social contagion where. So, OK, so for any listeners who don't know what social contagion is, if you are in a group of friends and all of your friends tend to be overweight, there is a much higher percentage that you will be overweight. If your friends tend to be healthy, there's a much higher percentage chance that you will be healthy, fit, you know, like a physically healthy weight. If one of the friends in your group of friends gets divorced, the likelihood that the other couples in that same group of friends will get divorced goes up significantly. Okay, so that's basically what that is. And you and you can argue that both ways. Like it's it's not a direct we we follow each other. Whatever is established as a norm in our little world, we tend to be okay with that because it's air quotes normal. Right? Yeah. Does that make sense? So yep. so what I'm hearing here is that every individual in Tyre and Sidon and Capernaum and Chorazin and Sodom will stand before the throne as an individual. But there were also little bits of group think that had taken over these areas. And that's what <clears throat> that's what Jesus is talking about. At least that's kind of how I read it. Yeah. No, I think so too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know. It doesn't speak well of maybe it doesn't speak well of living in cities in general, too. Um consider Consider how much violence and decadence we have in our larger cities now. Um, it just sort of seems to compound upon itself. Um, maybe cities aren't a great place to be. I don't know. Sort of a side, that's sort of a side note on that. But then in that vein, then Jesus kind of, he goes on to talk about how he gives true rest. Um And after these things that we've talked about, he says, thank you, Father, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to babes. That's an interesting thing for Jesus to say, that people who have spent time studying and contemplating and, you know, I guess, you know, really thinking through this stuff. Do you think he's saying they've overthought it to the point where now they've just overcomplicated everything? Yeah, I do think that too much head learning can make for too much emotional caution. Mm-hmm. And you are you maybe are so ingrained in thoughts that you no longer say, for example, can hear your heart or right? Like the yeah. the sound the sound of your own thoughts can kind of drown out the nudging of the Holy Spirit, you know, that kind of thing. I do think that can happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You start overthinking. You start trying to analyze things that don't need to be analyzed. Are there awards for that? (laughs) I say if there are, a lot of us would be earning those. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, I think. Yeah. But I think Jesus is really just trying to say that. This stuff is. It's simple if you just let it be simple. You know, like. Children are able to believe things without having to have all kinds of evidence, you know. The the, the, the fair, the devil is very tricky and has some convoluted deception out there. So mm-hmm. I genuinely believe there's time, there's a time and place to set aside and just think. I do believe that has its place. Yeah, but there's also that time and place for simply believing, yeah. you know, just just take it as it is just you know and like we've been talking about jesus's ability to forgive the things that we think are just utterly devastating well they are they are to us <laughs> no they're, they're probably devastating to him too he just has this huge capacity for grace yeah but 
he can forgive and he does forgive. And if you will just let that be what it is, don't overthink it, don't overcomplicate it, don't contemplate that too hard, just let it like wash over you. I think that's what he's trying to say. But when you're trying to get into the mechanics, well, let's see, how can he forgive me? Is it because I've done this? Is he able to forgive me if I say this so many times? If, you know, and, and he's like, no, it's none of that. It's none of that at all. As uh, we've been we've been studying in our church now for six months. It's <laughs> too good to be true. Mm-hmm. That well, is and the- it's right here in verses um, 28 through 30, like his the way that he ends up this little section about it says he says famous verses. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Famous mm-hmm. verses, famous words. Mm-hmm. And it yeah. and it is that simple. Yeah, yeah. And you know, you think what is it? What is a yoke for? If our listeners aren't familiar with the concept, you you probably are, but you don't maybe don't realize it if you if it, you haven't heard the word before. But when you would have two oxen together, let's say, and you're going to plow something, and you would you would put this what would you call it like a wooden framework around their Mm -hmm. necks so that when one turns the other one has to turn and this would be a way that you could train a less experienced oxen ox ox (laughs) uh with a more experienced ox who already knows how to do these things because when the more experienced one turns its head the other one has to turn with him you know and jesus is saying if you just let me guide you i'm going to be gentle I'm going to this. This is not going to be difficult. But if you fight it, if you if you try to second guess everything, you're you're just complicating it. You're just making it hard. So just let me lead you. Mm-hmm. It's that easy. It really is. But we overcomplicate everything. We want to question it. We want to fight against it. But 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 you know. Yes, I know you want me to go that way, but I see this thing in my way that looks like an obstacle to me. And, you know, Jesus is like going, that's nothing. Don't worry about that thing. I know where the real obstacles are. I know what we need to avoid. I know what we need to go around, how to navigate this stuff. So just let me do it. I think that's the hardest part is that surrender. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we are not good at that. <laughs> we are not good at that. But he, you know, he talks here about how all things are delivered to Jesus, he says. All things have been delivered to him by the Father. So he has he has an authority that uh is unsurpassed. I mean, if imagine imagine having having just authority over everything. And Jesus has that. And he says, No one knows the Father except the Son and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. So you have to know Jesus to know the father and he's telling this to people who have been you know the the this is in that context of he said he's aren't listening this isn't they're they're they if if you had listened if, if those other cities had listened they would have been saved you have to understand you have to know jesus to know the father he is the picture of godhood that was given so for us to be able to understand don't you guys think don't you guys find that that as you as you look around at the world and the chaos and the stupidity and the the sheer meanness, the mean self-centeredness of people, the it just is kind of a relief, this idea that you could go to Jesus, hitch up next to him and let him drive. Mm. And just be like, no, I'm I'm so out of my depth. You you've got to take this. Like I just done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is sort of that. I guess the modern that modern day. Co- Boy, the English. <laughs> You're doing good. <laughs> this modern, the modern day version of this would be Jesus take the wheel. You drive. I'll sit over here in the passenger seat. I'm gonna let you. I'm gonna let you. I'm gonna let you take me wherever you're gonna go, wherever you want to go. Because at this point, my navigational buoys are. You know, see, that's more of a nautical term. But my it's my okay. nav- yeah. Work my, in the sports analogy and the sentence will be complete. Oh, see, that's where I go bad. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> but 
allowing Jesus to navigate, allowing him to take you where he will, understanding that he's not going to put you in harm's way, at least not, you know, not in the cosmic sense. And I can say that I can say that with um, uh, confidence because I, very few people are called to be martyrs. Even if you are called to be a martyr, though, you got to remember that the broad perspective of eternity and that little blip that that would be, you know, Jesus is not going to let you be harmed in a way that is going to affect your eternity in the negative. So let him lead you. Go where he draws you. Go where he pushes you. Uh, and and just and just let him. And uh, it sounds so simple, but we love to complicate it. <clears throat> Have either one of you guys ever seen um, what they call the the five minute sermon on the rope and eternity by Jackie Chan? Nope, nope, Francis Chan. Not Jackie Chan. <laughs> nope, I got that name wrong. So, you, you you know who Francis Chan is? I don't. You don't? I don't think so. Is that his name? Huh? Uh-uh. I haven't. I think that's his name. Hang on, I gotta look him up. Anyway, he he does this great little. Fi- they call it a five minute sermon, and uh, and he, he's holding up this piece of rope, and the rope is the rope is white, except the very end of it is red. And he's like, and he, and, and basically the point is like, we're so focused on this little red piece of rope. Cause that's all we can see. That's where we're living. And we're like, if I can just get, do all the things and I can just get to this little groove in the rope right here, then I'll be happy. We're so focused on this tiny little section of rope that we're living in that we forget that there's all this rope out here. That's eternity. Right. Mm, and that's, yeah. You know, that's where the tangible world meets the intangible and you get to walk without seeing it. When you get to walk by faith without actually seeing the thing you're working towards. Hang on, I'm going to look him up. I'm sure it's definitely not Jackie Chan. I'm very clear (laughs) on that, but it might be. I've seen Jackie Chan do some pretty cool things with ropes, though. I I get good point. (laughs) Five minute sermon. Whoops, not Simon. Sermon rope. Discuss amongst yourselves. I'll be with you in a moment. <laughs> it is him. Yeah. That's totally Francis right. Chan. Mm-hmm. I okay. will, um, I'm going to send uh, the link. And then, Matt, if you want to post this with the yeah. podcast, it's quite good. Yeah, I'll put, a, I'll put a link in the podcast notes and I'll share it on the uh, I'll share it on the Facebook page, too, if I can. <laughs> okay, I just sent it. Um, yes, it is Francis Chan. Cool. Anyway, that's the point. Is just mm-hmm. like there's a lot out there, and you should be you should be worried about eternity, not the little red end of the rope, which is the only thing within your sights. Mm-hmm. And yes, that is hard to do because we've never even caught a glimpse of eternity. But this little tiny red end of rope that's in our face is really in our face. So yes, it is difficult. Mm-hmm. That's where the yeah. that's where you, if you overthink it, you'll think yourself right out of it. Yeah, yeah. And so that's uh, you know that is that is ironically the challenge for us to stop looking at it as a, as a challenge and to simply accept like a child, like a babe, the 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 simplicity of it. Accept that this is true and that. It really is that easy. We love to overcomplicate life. We love to think that, that, oh, yeah, I could do that, but, you know. Okay, but keep in mind that here on Earth, one of the primary truths that you can all pretty much always bank on is if it looks too good to be true, it probably is. Mm. So then here comes Jesus, and he just is like, no, 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 it's the total opposite. Yeah. But. You there. I mean, how many times have we talked about this in the podcast? Like Satan's kingdom and the way it functions is upside down from what Jesus teaches. It's upside down and it appeals to our lowest natures. So all of it is very opposite and it's hard. It's really hard to just walk, walk in faith without 
without pausing to overthink the thing that's right in front of you. I, I get it. I do it all the time. Yeah, no. I, there should oh. be an Olympic sport called overthinking, and I would have so many gold medals, and then I would sell them, and I would buy something I actually wanted. <laughs> <laughs> no, that is our. It is kind of our nature to to overcomplicate. Uh, as unfortunate it is, it's a new thing that Jesus wants us to co- consider. And if you can get your head in that space, you're going to be. It's a good space to be in, and. Uh, that's where we should try to be every day. Any other thoughts about anything we've talked about today? Did we miss anything you guys were just itching to talk about? I have no thoughts. No, I think we got it. Karen has no thoughts. I know that that is completely Never. untrue. <laughs> Never have thoughts. <laughs> I may have words, but I don't have thoughts. <laughs> Let's not confuse the two. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> Sounds like uh, uh, the Scarecrow from Wizard of Oz. <laughs> if I only had a brain. <laughs> I know a lot of people who say a lot of things without a brain. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, gosh. Well, okay. So great discussion. Uh, that will wrap up our discussion then of Matthew chapter 11. Next week, we will get into, let's take a peek here real quick. Let me turn there. Luke chapter 11, I believe, is where we're going to go. And that chapter is chock full of interesting things. I will almost be surprised. We've talked about it a little bit, but I'll almost be surprised if we get through the whole chapter next week. Uh, Luke chapter 11. Lots of, lots of interesting little things for us to talk about. And so, listeners, as you are reading that and waiting for us, remember you can reach out to us at attbpodcast at theadventure.org. Look us up on Facebook, where I will post that little link of stuff that Karen just talked to us about. Um, make sure that you share the podcast with your friends and family. You can just click that share button on the Facebook page. That's an easy way to do it. And then make sure that you subscribe to the podcast so we reach you in your feed each and every week. We look forward to talking to you again next week. Thanks for listening.